back to a new episode of Sported Talks. Today, my guest is Kamil Novak. He is the executive director of FIBA Europe, a former basketball player now in charge with the mission and vision of European basketball. Talking about transitioning from sports career to management position, uh, talking about national federations, talking about closed versus open leagues, about education, about athletes. He's bringing uh, a new touch to this episode. So it's an absolute pleasure to talk to him. Please welcome Kamil Novak. Kamil, thank you very much for accepting doing this interview with me. It's a great pleasure and great honor to talk to you again. I've been uh, I've been around and and talking a uh, few few of the the subjects we're going to discuss today by being part of Timeout project and I would like first of all to get to know you a little bit better like our audience to to get to know who you are. So who is Kamil Novak? Well, <laughs> it's always difficult to describe uh, describe uh, myself. Uh, I mean, who is Kamil Novak? First of all, it's someone who is serving uh, basketball. This is my role. This is how I see it. I can give you a little bit of my background. I, I was born 67 in, in, in Czechoslovakia. Um, I started to play basketball when I was 15, so I was a, a late bloomer in that sense. But I was very tall, and actually, after one year, uh, I already made the first steps in the in the senior team. Uh, probably because, I mean, I was told I was talented, but I was very tall, uh, obviously. and. Uh, then it was very fast. With 17, I played first time uh, for the senior national team. Uh, I was just in the group of, of 30 talented players at the time uh, with some perspective. Uh, and uh, then obviously I played for the junior national team. Um, I was very early uh, uh, also with 17 in, a, in the first division. Uh, at the same time, I was uh, doing my studies. So after the gymnasium, I, I, I studied the uh, economic uh, economics in 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 my hometown in Ostrava. Played for the national team, and then when I finished the studies, uh, it was in the years of the of the political changes in the 90s. Uh, I finished my studies in 1990. Uh, I had to go at the time for uh, nearly one year uh, to do my military service. Right after military service, actually, I was one of the first uh, basketball players in Czech Republic, in Czechoslovakia at that time still. Uh, I left the country and I started to play abroad. I played, and this was with the national team, let's say the peak. Uh, I played the European Championship 1999 in, uh, in France. Finished my career as a full pro uh, in 2001, where I was already way over 30. And this was the time, actually, this is what we are talking about, the transition period. I was like on, on thinking about what is the future, what, are, what, is the, what is the next life after basketball. And uh, I did not know exactly what I want to do. Actually, I had some dreams. I always wanted to run a professional club. This was, uh, this was where I saw myself to, to combine the studies I did, uh, economics and uh, finances this is, and management. This is what I studied and what I love, which is, uh, which is basketball. And uh, luckily, I started to work uh, in the organization where I played before. Uh, it was with the Skyliners. Actually, the Skyliners, they, uh, previously, this was a team where I played for. It was in Rundorf, near Bonn. And then the team was moved to Frankfurt in 1999. But I was not there anymore. But the people around were still the same people. And they called me and they asked me if, uh, if I still want to play basketball or I want to do something serious in the life. This was the phone call I received. So I said, oh, so, I'm, I'm actually, so, so I've far you're doing just, just having fun. Uh, that's what they always <laughs> said. Um, uh, I told them that I consider myself always, <laughs> always as a serious person. So uh, it, it, it took actually very short. I went to, to Frankfurt and I start from down from the scratch uh, working for the organization. I was still actually they very friendly forced me to play still second division for our farm team, which I did not plan uh, anymore. Uh, to be honest, it was in the year 2002. I was already 35 and I felt like I was not, uh, it was not appropriate anymore to play in that, in, in that age. 
Uh, but I did it for three more years, and we had a lot of fun. But at the same time, I was already working in the organization. I started to do some uh, some marketing projects. Um, uh, the, the main was uh, Company Cup, which actually now, even now, uh, years later, it's still ongoing and still very successful. So this was my, my start. This was the transition that I was working in the office eight hours, and then in the evening, I was still practicing with the second division team. So I reduced the practices from two times a day to just to the evening practices, which was also good maybe for my body. Uh, I, a friend of mine who is a doctor told me it's not healthy to stop from one day to the other and don't do anything because the heart is, is used or got used somehow to to a certain to a certain rhythm. And if you stop it, uh, it might cause a problem. So it was, a, in a way now, when I look back, kind of smooth transition. Uh, but obviously, it was I had all these difficulties, like maybe you or uh, the, the, all the colleagues, uh, your fellow colleagues from the from Time Out project, like not really knowing what is my place. Uh, uh, I only knew, and this is I think it was good that I knew I'd never wanted to be a coach. And when I was in Frankfurt, I had to obtain the coaching license, um, so I had the A license. I still had the A license in Germany, uh, but I knew I don't want to be a coach. Um, and, the, you know, we had a few period when I became a, a GM in, in 2005. Um, there was a kind of, we had, the, we had to release a coach and there was like, the president said, okay, you have the A license, you could do it. And, uh, you know, this is always dangerous when you start to do something. And fortunately, I mean, I, I was resisting, but for a few games, I was a head coach, but it was clear um, I would not stay as a coach for the rest of the season. Oh, so this so is you, really, did, you did have a few games in. Yes, I even have a game in the, in the Euro Cup at the time. So I think I coached two games in the Bundesliga and two coach in the, in the Euro Cup. So it was the time before, uh, before I found the head coach. So yeah. I was, I think, two and a half weeks I, I was the head coach. And, you know, it was a, 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 I actually stated this everywhere in the newspapers and in the media that uh, actually this is not what I want. And there were several coaches who were really keen to become a coach and they could not understand how someone having such a chance, such an opportunity can refuse it. And uh, I think it was, it really helped me um, that uh, to know that this is what I don't want to do. I always wanted to, to do something which, has, which is connected with the finances. This is what I studied and I really like. I like mathematics very much because it's, uh, there is no, maybe or a little bit this is always very straightforward that's why i like mathematics and obviously i like sports so I, I could combine those two and uh, so this was the transition period and this is a little bit my background uh, this is a little bit who, who is who is kind of yeah not not everybody not me and you know but i've been a player for opal skyliners and uh, we we miss each other by f a few years because i've been in 2001 2002 so you you were a GM there for in 2005, right? And you, but you I came, came earlier. I know when when I left. I came 2002, and I heard a lot about you, and I heard a lot positive about you. Uh, and I know that the, the club uh, wished to to keep you. So I, I I knew who you are, and I I heard your your story. I came 2002, and as I said, the first three years I was just you know this was the transition where I was starting where I started to do, and I had to. That was actually the time to prove myself. To prove to the presidents and to the team club owners whether I could do something or not. That is so so nice of you to say that. Also, uh, my my transition for from athlete to uh, to management position was also taking a GM position, uh, executive president of a Stalch SMX in bank, and I can relate to what you said because at one point in time, uh, we part ways with the coach and we're out in the open i also have a coaching license actually like a school i i did for two years uh to to become a coach but i never planned to do that somehow after after all that that studying i realized that that's not for me and that i do believe that you know if you're a dog is not for sure that you're going to be a veterinarian after like you know it, it, it's just not the same thing I uh, and was an open spot, and I was thinking, you know, people said like, then you take over, but I couldn't because I don't know how to do that, and I wouldn't take the responsibility of of uh, just play around with uh, with these guys. 
for me because I didn't have that experience and I knew I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be a coach. I I know I I cannot live the same life as a player but not play, you know. But given to that, you know, you made a transition and you prepare yourself before because y you like management and like you said, you like numbers and. Uh, did it matter that you played basketball like in day-to-day -day job as a as a gm of skyliners was that important it is like the primary thing that you're a basketball player or it was the the education that held you for all the decisions you made well i think both is both was good and important i would say the, the let's say the educational background was obviously more important uh, but I know also many people who are edu who do have education. They could not really uh, work, uh, you know, with some with some structure. So I think there are many there are many factors. Uh, uh, I would say it's always a combination, a mixture of uh, of, uh, of everything. And as you said, with the coaching, I, I also this was a two years uh, two years course also in Germany. Um, and uh, I knew I don't want to do it, but actually it was good. To learn some things, you know, to to see because you always learn something. And I was even about sure. to maybe for sure. I just did, probably didn't have the courage. I don't want to do it, but I was happy to finish because it's also one of the one of the things I always also tell to my kids is when you start something, finish it. Uh, if you get used to uh, to the behavior that you start and then you say, "Oh, I don't like it," and you stop it, then you might have in a life uh, many things which you start and never finish and this is never good so i think it's always good to you can always learn something and uh, for the for the gm job as i said it was uh, obviously very good the the because balance sheet and all that all that stuff is everywhere the same in czechoslovakia in germany it's, it's everywhere the same uh, so when you know what is it about but actually at the end of the day you know it's always about uh, you earn some money. It's like in your private life. If you earn uh, one or two thousand, and you spend more than this, then you, at some point, will be in trouble. Uh, and uh, but many people do not care, obviously. So and this is also in the in the let's say in the company life. I mean, it, it, there is always a part where you what you what you uh, generate, and uh, obviously you have to make the calculation uh, what you can spend, and then you have to divide it for for what uh, or what you spend it for. So it's actually at the end of the again, it's mathematics. Um, and it's not so difficult, uh, and uh, it's then it's only about how much risk uh, you want to take, because you might you might hope that you will get some other income, etc. But you never know, and if you already put it in your budget, in, in not having this, it's always very difficult. So uh, I, I learned a lot, and I, I was happy. I had people around me who. Who, who helped me and who gave me also the chance. I think it's important to, you know, that you get the chance. And, and again, uh, you have to, or everybody has to prove himself. So I had to also, in, in, in this two and a half years, prove myself that I could do things, that I could do more, and I could take more responsibility. And at the end, I was responsible for, uh, let's say, for the three quarters of, of the of the total budget of the club, which which was a few million euros. and and. Uh, um, this was actually step by step, and uh, it helped me a lot. I learned a lot. I had my fights with, with the accountants. I remember, and, and uh, you know, it was very, it was very fruitful time. And even now, uh, I'm learning every day, uh, uh, really. And this is really every day. I mean, obviously, we have now different issues here, and it's a different position and, and different responsibility. But it's a learning process every day, and I'm happy to take. And this is what I. What I hope that I will not lose this drive to learn things because uh, I just I'm just afraid to be at one day uh, at the stage saying okay now I know everything I think this will be the this will be the that so I hope I will never get there. So so you you kind of remain with the idea of practice from from basketball times which you just have a different practice right now and you continue I, learning in what you're doing right now. I think as a player, there was a period of time where I saw, okay, I cannot really learn anything. I just have to keep it at the level and just, you know, be physically in shape. So here it is, I think, a little bit different because as a player, you can still learn some things. But if you are 30, you've nearly seen everything on the court, you know. So uh, here it is like really, I mean, things are changing. The laws uh, are being changed. Uh, the, 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 the environment is being changed. The culture is being changed. And uh, obviously me, I'm... I'm working abroad. I'm not working in my home country. So uh, also language-wise, I mean, I've been in Germany now for nearly 20 years, but I still uh, still have 
things to learn and and, and in, in a job it is it is the same so so after 10 years of of being home in in frankfurt in uh, in home what i'm saying in home it's 10 years so it is kind of a home uh, how how did you make transition to how how we happened to become a the direct the executive director of fiba europe well in 2012 uh, the position became vacant and uh, i was asked by the czech federation uh, because the Czech Federation, for some years, they tried to, to get me to Prague being a secretary general of the Czech Federation. I told them I cannot do it because I promised my kids uh, that they can finish their education in Germany, if, if possible. Uh, and uh, because nobody kicked me out in Frankfurt, so I, I didn't really want to move uh, out of there. And, uh, so then the Czech Federation proposed me uh, for the position of secretary general of FIBA Europe. I was, at the beginning, I was... Um, Kind of reserved uh, to to be very honest because I was I was quite happy in Frankfurt and uh, the job I did I really liked that um, but it was obviously step forward so after the discussion with uh, with the family um, uh, the the federation I, I said yes and the federation proposed my name and it was a, a relatively difficult process procedure. Uh, also, the the whole atmosphere at the time was uh, was not easy. I don't want to go deep into that, but this was a time of turbulences at FIBA Europe. Um, uh, but at the end, the board uh, chose me as a, as a secretary general, and I started in uh, October 2012 um, here in Munich. Obviously, it was uh, also for me not easy because you know I was responsible for the for for, for the club in Frankfurt. Uh, obviously, the club was informed. The presidents they really supported me. Uh, we, but you know, we are at the beginning of the season. You have a team which you put together with the coach and with the presidents. But still, there is a responsibility, and all of a sudden, someone uh, is leaving. Uh, so for me, you know, I, I had the feeling at the beginning like I am leaving uh, something which is in in a, in a in a process I, I wanted to finish. But then I was like. I had the support of the presidents on one hand, and on the other hand, on the other side, I, I also felt like in the club there is never end of the season because end of the season means immediately it's before the season, so there is no really pro appropriate time to, to you know to leave and to to go away. So uh, I was happy then to to follow. Uh, I'm still following, obviously, not only the clubs where I played for, but also the uh, the, the Skyliners, and uh, they they've been doing pretty pretty well, pretty okay. So. Um, this was also kind of smooth, but not so easy. And, and now you're you're that person in charge with the European basketball. Like that that position you hold is 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 um, somehow the the coach of of European basketball for so long, and it's been thriving. Europe numbers person. How does basketball in Europe look right now? Is, is that like a passion for countries, or is that a business? Is it's a lot of money involved in there? Well, from the perspective of, of FIBA, uh, FIBA Europe, which is actually the international federation, so we are our partners, our members are the national federations. This is a little bit different uh, than than the club. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's it's still basketball. But it's, there is different approach and also, let's say, different circumstances. In the club, this is more about day-to-day uh, -day decisions. So in a, in a club, you have to you have a strategy, but uh, if you take a decision, you implement it. If not immediately, then next day. Uh, here in federation, it's a little bit different because here, the process and also the decision-making process is a little bit different. Uh, it takes a little longer. Uh, here you have to work a lot with, let's say, mid or long term strategies, uh, also decisions. And I will give you an example. Uh, when I came to FIBA Europe, I, you know, I discussed with, with many people uh, in basketball and also outside of the basketball. Uh, generally, not really about basketball, about you know, uh, what what are the next steps, what uh, what you should not do. This is also important not to, to know what to not to do, and. Uh, uh, one friend of mine who is a high director of, 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 of a European bank, actually very known bank, he told me the worst thing uh, is that you think that you come and you will change everything. This is the biggest mistake. Uh, and, uh, and I told him, yes, I know that I was aware of this. This is what I always said. And you are also coming from the one of the Eastern European countries. 
uh, back in the 90s, what I saw the biggest mistake was all of a sudden everything which has been built up over the years uh, was people felt like this is all wrong because it's uh, communist. Uh, and then structures were destroyed without having new structures. And then there was a kind of vacuum, uh, you know, uh, that people didn't know how to, what to do and how to go. So this was one of the main things. And, and a good example of how, you know, the difference it is that when I came, I saw, and we were actually shot before the Eurobasket 2013 in Slovenia. And uh, I wonder, even before, uh, I wonder why the competition system was what it was. There was a first round, then there was a second round, which I felt was totally uninteresting for everybody. Uh, because some teams were already actually qualified for the playoffs, uh, and, and then there was the playoffs. So when we started to discuss internally, um, one of the first things I wanted to move forward was the changing of the competition system of, uh, of the Eurobasket. And also the main thing was that at the time, in the previous system, teams playing in the finals had to play 11 games, which I felt to play 11 games within 19 days. It's pretty lot, and we are talking about the top, top, top players. Uh, so actually, every second day, nearly you play. Sometimes you play even, uh, you know, day by day. And I, I, not only I, but we also here internally. I have many colleagues here in, in the office, uh, also some ex-players, and we felt that this is too much. So we started to the procedure to propose to the board to change the competition system. And at the beginning, it was like people felt like, why do you want to change it? Uh, and then, you know, we, we consulted many people from TV, uh, from marketing. Uh, but then, also, I wanted to have the opinion of the players. So, in Slovenia, I met with, uh, with Tony Parker and Boris Dio. I asked the French Federation if I could have half an hour, hour discussion about various matters, various issues of, of basketball, to know also the opinion of the players. And uh, actually, it became two hours. Uh, really nice, discussion, interesting, very, very also inspiring discussion with, uh, with Tony Parker and Boris Dio, two very famous but also experienced players and players who love to play for national team. So, and, and when I start to ask them about the opinion, about their opinion about the competition system, and uh, I told them a little bit like, what would be the plan? Uh, they nearly jump on me and said, please do it. And I told them, but there might be, there is always downside in such a system. When you play the, the first round, five games, and then you go immediately into the playoffs, you might have a bad day and you lose right. the, 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 the eighth final and you are out. How would you feel about that? And uh, <laughs> Tony looked at me and I see his eyes when he looked at me and he said, man, this is what, why we are playing this game. This is, this is our life do or die there is nothing more inspiring than this that's what he said and and, and, and boris dio said yes don't worry about it we will manage uh, he was talking of course as a friend he said we will we will manage this uh, and he said every player would like to play this is uh, this is actually exciting and not only for the players also for the public so this was the last actually puzzle for me to see okay it's not only me feeling uh, feeling a little bit strange about the competition but what i wanted to say this was a process of almost eight months, consulting, uh, putting the idea on the table, discuss with people. And then uh, I felt that now is about the time to, to propose it to the board of FIBA Europe. With all the arguments uh, which we have collected, TV was uh, immediately like, yes, that's what we want. This is the second round. It's not really, uh, not really appropriate, etc. And then it was approved. But it, it took nearly one year to, to change something like that. Uh, so this is just, you know, that uh, the, the, the difference if you work in the club or if you work in the, in the international, uh, international organization, international federation, I mean, many stakeholders, obviously different views, different cultures, also different interests. Uh, so it is a little bit different, different type of, of work here in the, in, in, at FIBA Europe, but I, I've been enjoying this very much. It, it's such a, a, a big macro level uh, experience and what what you're talking about it's is not only you know making a system but developing basketball all over Europe and why not all over the world uh, and of course I I can see why why that is you know all the pressure and the upsets and that that happened to a one game decision 
uh, it's actually entertaining. It's actually uh, what all sport is about, that things can happen at any time. It's a roller coasters, r- roller coaster of emotions. But, but looking on national teams level and how you change competition, but you also look on countries like leagues and federations and uh, uh, you have all these cells that you have to grow uh, individually and collectively. And I know, you know, some, some are better than others. Tell us about a good practice. What is, a, a, what is the difference in a, in a big federation that is doing the right things? Like, are they a game changer? Um, are the leagues better closed or open leagues? I see that Champion League, uh, the BCL, it's, it's more of a closed league, which I actually personally I am more in favor of because, you know, it matters when you have a, a, a long-term plan and not just because you, you advance from a lower league just, just to participate, but it's all about the project that you have. So you as a federation, you look on these long-term projects. It's not what happens tomorrow, right? Uh, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned various things now. Let's start with the national teams. Obviously, we have a big federations. Uh, we have federations also with, uh, let's say, a lot of revenues. We have small federations. Uh, but at the end of the day, we have many federations which are not really big, uh, not really rich, but still very successful. It's very difficult now for me to name some of them. I could name you immediately five or six, but I would not feel as that this is appropriate. But we have many, many federations which are uh, small, small countries uh, uh, as a size, but very, very successful in the basketball. And also, they do not have really many, uh, many money. Uh, so it is not always about money. Obviously, having um, enough money, enough uh, resources, it helps because then you can develop a lot of things you can do uh, in your country. You can go to schools. You can, you know, work with the clubs. Uh, you can uh, be better partner also for the clubs because the clubs are obviously they look uh, they look to be part of something which also uh, generates revenues. So uh, the the size of the federation is not always very important to be successful. Now, obviously, is the question what is success? Is it always only the medals? No, I think medals, it's the growth. But, yeah, but medals always bring the the resources because most of the national federations are uh, also not only but also financed from the from from the government. And the more successful you are, the more revenues you can generate because the the more income you have you have. Uh, but also, we have many federations who. And now I'm coming a little bit to what I see as a core business of of every international federation actually, and this is the youth. Um, we obviously have the top product, which is the Eurobasket, which is the European Championship, uh, but and all the revenues we we generate there, this is all uh, we all spend this uh, actually for the use because this is the future of the of the basketball in in Europe and in each of the of the country, and uh, we feel that this is where the feder also the national federation should this should be the core business uh, when it comes to you know to spend the revenues generated. Um, we have obviously uh, Europe. You know, it's not big; it's a small continent, but it's uh, it's very. You know, the varieties we have: uh, Eastern Europe, uh, we have uh, we have uh, Southern Europe, we have the Western part of Europe. Um, many wonderful countries uh, with own history and also kind of own, um, let's say, basketball development. And uh, our policy has always been to you know that. Uh, we don't divide small or big, east or west, uh, north or south, nothing like that. For us, it's important that uh, the basketball is growing in every country. Uh, that's why we have also the European Championship for small countries, uh, yeah, which is very important. Obviously, women's basketball. Uh, this is, um, and we've been, we've been discussing women, women's basketball from day one when I was here. I assume it was also discussed before I came. and. Uh, um, what to do? By the way, newly the board of FIBA Europe approved the uh, the project. Uh, we call it girls uh, basketball, where we want to attract more girls play our wonderful sport. Um, there is also some some decent amount of money which was allocated for this project. So we also uh, want that the national federations 
uh, and in some countries, you know, women's basketball is huge. Like now, I would name Russia, Turkey, France, uh, Spain. The women's basketball is really huge. Czech Republic. Uh, in some of the countries, the women's basketball is even bigger in a way than, uh, than the men's basketball. Uh, but generally speaking, obviously, we see that there is. We would we would like to have more girls playing basketball and being being in basketball. Now, when we say the the club level, obviously, we've started some two years ago with the basketball Champions League, and you said the close league. Actually, the opposite. We see. Uh, and we are, in that sense, very, maybe, conservative. Um, the European mentality is about relegation and promotion. Um, I know. Yeah, you're right. So this is the European mentality. And we believe that it has not been changed, not le at least not yet. And uh, the relegation and promotion, the chance to be part of it, it's, uh, we believe, uh, one, of the, one of the biggest assets uh for clubs to develop if you have if you have nothing to grow why should you do something i give you an example and this is what we found when we were discussing the the champions league we said okay we want to have a league for top teams uh and we are and i work in the club 10 years i know how it, it is nice to have a guarantee kind of whatever happens i'm in this is nice if I had the, the, the glasses, the club glasses, I would say, fantastic, do it. But is it the right thing for the others as well? And this is here clearly no. Uh, and uh, in Europe, actually, we have uh, several examples of, of, of close or semi-close leagues, and uh, none of them is really, has been really successful. Um, because if you want to grow something, you need to have the pressure from the bottom. You need to see as a club that there is always someone who is knocking at the door every day. So if you don't do your job, you might be in trouble. Uh, I think this is kind of a drive you, you need to have. Um, so when we created the Champions League, we said, okay, uh, obviously we know that 10 teams in one of the top countries would still be better maybe than champions of some countries. Well, we know this is nothing new. We know, we know that. But we also said like, is it proper that uh, countries, some countries, the champions, would not have a platform to play, to compete? And the decision was clearly no. So that's why we actually, and again, we didn't discover anything new. We just look at the football. If you see the, the Champions League, the beauty of the Champions League is that uh, nearly from every country, the champion, or maybe even the two teams number two or three, <laughs> depending on the ranking, can qualify. Um, so even small small teams from small countries, if they have a good structure, if they work well, they can qualify and play the regular season of the Champions League in football. And we believe that this is uh, one of the one of the one of the beauty that you know there is always a goal for everybody in every country uh, in professional clubs. There is a goal. Uh, if I do, this is where I want to be, and I can achieve it. If there is a close league. You say, okay, I cannot be part of it anyhow, so why I should do something? Or why I should get, why, why a sponsor should give me some millions more? Uh, if I cannot enter the, the top competition anyhow, so what is the reason? I, okay, I, I, I'm here, I've been the champion of, of my country for several years. Europe, at the European level, I cannot enter anyhow because it's close, so what is the reason to grow? Uh, so this was the this was the basic idea, one of the basic ideas behind the Champions League project. Obviously, uh, this is limiting in a way when you build something new and uh, on the market parallelly there is a structure which is close or only for the, let's say, for the rich. Uh, because the clubs, again, I repeat, I understand absolutely. I still remember and I will never forget my, my club past. It is nice to have a guarantee. Uh, but, but this is not what, uh, this is not what is really, really helping the growth of the, of the game. Uh, you you are completely right. I'm 100% uh, with you on that. But what I meant is not to have, you know, regardless of the, the outcome, to have comfort that you're going to be there. No, I'm, I'm saying that maybe promoting from a second division might not put you in the right spot for a first division, for example, because you might have an organization that is, you know, kind of made for a second division. 
it's a big difference in many countries from the second division to the first division. And you bring a team that might need more than that and to show you, okay, you have the right to go there here, but these are the conditions. I mean, these are, we, we looking on totally different things. Let's look on your, you know, your long-term plan. And uh, I don't know how, how can you develop, how can you be an addition to this league and how can you keep up with teams in here? Because if you have a great team from a first division, a champion, and uh, a team from a second division is coming up, it might not be equal, you know, equal competition because it might be a big difference between them. Same with, well, you kind of address that in, in BCL, in, in Champions League, because you take only top-level teams and it, it's a great competition. So this is why I said that it's not close per se, like, you know, these are, we are these and we don't accept others, but I'm, <coughs> I'm saying more of a franchising, a spot for, for a, a team at some level, you know, you reach this level, you're okay, you can compete or you, you stay at that level, you can compete, you're going down in your, in your, uh, in your level, in your uh, business book, then maybe it's not your place to stay here because it's uh it's something that is not favorable for others also absolutely here uh, it is very important that i think it would help to every country to put a certain standards i would call it standards uh, so if you move to the next level uh, and you qualify on the court uh, then still there must be some requirements to be met in order to be allowed to play, uh, so to say. So uh, you see, and again, here we have many examples, and I can give you uh, the, the German Liga where, where I worked, uh, where, and, and it was, it is, a, it's been a very painful process because you always put higher standards, which means higher costs for the clubs, uh, uh, which actually keeps you out of spending the money only for players because you have to have, uh, I mean, the standards could be having youth coaches, having youth structures, having a proper facility, having a proper uh, VIP uh, area in the arena, etc., etc. So there are different ways. The French League uh, and the other, and some other leagues, they are doing exactly the same. So it is not a close in the way if you, first you have to qualify on the court, uh, but if you qualify on the court, you still have to, you have to meet the standards uh, in order to, you know, and again, it is about development because those who are already at the level and uh, if uh, teams are coming, uh, they have to meet this level, not that these teams are going down. Uh, because, again, it's about development. Uh, everybody wants to grow. Every league should actually grow every year, have a little bit more sponsors, higher standards, uh, and offering better product. Right. Uh, because uh, whether we like or not, basketball is a product. We, or you offer it to the spectators, and if it's good, people would come. There is interest. There is a TV, a TV market, etc. If it is not good product, you would have empty arena, no interest of the public, no interest of the media, uh, so there is no growth. So uh, I agree with you, uh, obviously, qualifying on the court is just one part of uh, being at a higher level. You have to also fulfill the other part. Camille, I, I know how busy you are, and you actually told me uh, last week that this week it's, it's not like any others. You're staying home for, for five days, and that's not something usual. Let, let me touch one more subject that I, I would like to, to ask you about. You, you turn a little bit towards players, towards us, towards grassroots level, and you, you as, as a person and you as FIBA, uh, you believe in education and in developing people. And uh, I, I, am a, I am an example of that because I am part of the Time Out Project, which, which I'm very grateful uh, of. And it's been an enlightening experience. How come this change? This this was never done until now. Like like you're pioneering this. Well, it was also a process. Uh, I already mentioned I have some wonderful colleagues here in, in the in the office. Uh, some of them, not all of them, but many of them are, are also ex players at at certain level. But actually, player is a is a player. Doesn't matter which, which level. And you know, uh, we always. You always hear from uh, from federations that we have to do something and we want to support players. And uh, when we discuss it here, 
um, uh, when we had the, the discussion in around and we said, okay, but what can we do for the players? And then we started with the education and we said it would be nice. And there are some courses, some feder other federations do something, but they do it as a federation. And uh, this is what I always felt is, is kind of like, it's good, but it's not really the, this is not really education. We are not, uh, we are, we don't have the background as an international federation. No international federation has this educational background. So, um, and, and then when we saw um, that there would be, uh, there would be an opportunity also to, to generate some money from the, uh, from the EU with the Erasmus Plus. So we discussed internally, is that something to go for? Uh, and we knew there was very limited time. Um, we had just a few weeks to submit, uh, submit the project, uh, to ask the EU to approve it. And uh, we wanted to have also an honest pro project, not just, you know, get some money from, from, uh, from Erasmus Plus and, and spend it on something. And, and that was it. This was, not, this was actually what I told to, to my colleagues. I said, okay, guys, uh, we have to come up with something which makes sense, which is logical, and but it also has some value. Uh, and uh, then uh, I was really, really pleased and, and actually proud also today, especially after the ceremony last week, to, to see how, how it has developed. And, uh, you know, uh, when, I, when I think of the, the beginning of the, of the process and not enough time, uh, but then once we had the academical partners, this was actually, uh, this was the boost because I was like, wow, now we have, it's not FIBA. It's not about FIBA giving the educational part, it's about someone else. So it cannot be even questioned. You don't have like really, you know, FIBA certificate. You get certificate of the, you know, Hambria University or University of, of, uh, of, of Budapest. So uh, this was, this was really nice. And uh, I had, we had here internally, we discussed it back and forth, what are the ups and what are the downs? And uh, I am always looking more at the downs, obviously, because there is a risk and, you know, how we can, how, how many players we, because there was no experience. And so I was like, okay, do we get the players? And we are here for all 50 countries. So we said, okay, we have to attract actually all 50 countries to submit candidates. Uh, and there was like, okay, how, how attractive it will be for the players. And because we are all ex-players, so we are, we know how, how, how you are around 30, you actually thinking about your future, but not everybody is really willing to invest something. And I'm now talking about time and, and efforts. Uh, uh, and, and we also understand that it's not always easy to, to do, to do something like that. So it was a many question marks. It was something new, but uh, the enthusiasm uh, which was put in from our side was, was huge and almost, and you had the, you had the opportunity to to meet Elizabeth and Armila, but there are some other people behind who who actually supported and, and were also very creative. Uh, and then when the whole thing started in summer, uh, actually in the summer 2017, the first meeting I remember, um, actually before the summer uh, was uh, during the Eurobasket Women in Prague. And, and now when you see uh, what happened, it was also amazing to see how some of the students, the players, how did they, you know, I don't want to say change, but they, how they developed. I mean, it's, 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 it's pretty amazing. And I, I can tell you that for us as an organization, uh, this, uh, this is certainly something very exceptional uh, because it was new, because nobody has done it before. Uh, but also, and this is important to say, from day one, actually, uh, I've been busy with the, okay, how we can continue, uh, even maybe even without the support of Erasmus Plus. Um, we don't want you to be the only ones lucky. We want also other generations of players to come, you know, to, to have these opportunities. So we are working on that, and uh, it's been still a very interesting process, and uh, it is a lot of fun. I have to tell you, I do feel lucky and uh, it's such a, so many different levels that, that we actually, that this program actually helped us. And uh, okay, it's, it, it's on different structures and Northumbria and FIBA and TAS. And uh, uh, it's, it's not only that, it's 
80 people from 40 different countries and this networking with people just like us that are uh, starving to learn and they are like ready to 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 take a step further it's been it's been a wonderful experience which i'm grateful that you put it together and and helped us doing that uh definitely definitely don't stop here i'm i'm sure it's gonna be a success and that these people gonna make you proud one day and and more more organizations like international organizations should look at you and say hey this is what we should do because athletes do need that sports is taking them out of context sometimes out of uh, education and sports has the obligations to put them back and you did that with this program uh, in in a little part and hopefully all of us gonna do it further and spread it down the line uh, but you've been a player and you understand that and you you've been transitioning and you know how hard it was for um, not only you but f your friends to do that and I'm looking around in the landscape and and it's such a terrific job of of understanding what we hold as as athletes what soft skills we we uh we we have to help us on this change and on this trip camille Absolutely. yes and i i really do appreciate taking your time and and talking to me and to us and uh, you're a source of inspirations like like always and uh, i am grateful for that I thank you. It is it is my pleasure uh, to share uh, with you and with others the the world of sports. And you say that sports is taking the people a little bit out of I call it out of reality, uh, which is nice. Um, this is uh, certainly something special and privileged to be a professional athlete with all the uh, all the difficulties. And you know the the people outside who are not in sports they do not see all the difficulties people just see the, the let's say the, the nice part of the of the of the life that you are traveling uh, actually also uh, making up our average salary etc but there are downs like injuries and and, and, and all that stuff uh, uh, you have to go through as a player uh, you know when you when you want to perform and, and all the obstacles and problems within the team sometimes sometimes so all the all the downs so but this is again this is something and that's why I told um, all the students that there are assets you we all have in the pockets. This is something the others don't have. You cannot buy it. You cannot learn it. This is uh, uh, if you. I mean, people don't understand that every day when you wake up, actually you wake up some kind some kind of tired. I mean, professional being professional athlete is actually being permanently tired because you are either after or before the practice, and and uh, 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 you know you have to go through. So you you learn to. To deal with difficulties, uh, mental but also physical. I mean, you, you know, I I think most of the athletes are are tired, you know, because you go to the practice and then you have to prepare for the next practice. And there is a there is a let's say the performance time at the at the weekend where you are in the spotlight of of, of some thousands of people. Uh, so there is also the the, the pressure, the, uh, you know. So all that you cannot buy. You have to go through it. So there are so many things. Uh, uh, athletes generally, professional athletes have uh, in, in, in their pockets. And then it's just the, the question how you can transform it, what are, what are the individual qualities and everybody, every person is different, different mentality, different individual qualities. And uh, I always call it to, and this is what I, what I tell to my two kids, to tell them, you have to find your spot in life what you can do, how you can be successful in a way that you are happy, but also the others are happy. So do you contribute to the to the society to find your spot in life? And uh, we have, and you said that, in, uh, you know, people regularly start around 20 to find a spot. Athletes, they start then later after the career when they are 30, 35, uh, when the others are already Hopefully they have found already this spot, and now all of a sudden someone at the age of 30, 35 is coming, and is also looking for his spot in the in in in, a, in a life. So this is the disadvantage uh, you have as an athlete. But again, here, and this is I would put it to the parents that uh, 
you know, if you go totally unprepared with no education, it will be extremely difficult. So I would always uh, recommend to everybody, not, I mean, not everybody can study university, but there are also other things you can learn when you are 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, uh, and you can put in your pocket and you can take it out again when you finish your career. You don't start from the scratch. And this is here I see the obligation actually, you know, people say clubs and you know, this is all the parents. You are here as a father, as a mother, and you have to push and move to your kids. Uh, and explain them, and it's not always easy to explain them that this is this is in, that the education is important. Maybe not today, but the day after tomorrow, uh, uh, you will for sure need it. So, but this is more complex issue. I don't want to be, you know, kind of feel uh, in the philosophical discussions. But it is uh, obviously uh, there is a social part of, of it that uh, that the sportsmen need the help when they finish their career, and uh, it is the obligation or. Uh, it should be the obligation, not only international federations, also clubs, uh, but also governments uh, uh, should be, you know, somehow, somehow uh, involved in, in that and offer, offer, and that's what we call, we always said, we open doors. We cannot put you in a position, so we cannot give you jobs uh, immediately, but we can open door that, uh, that you can find uh, your spot in, in your life. You're 100% right, and, and it's, is nothing more important than not to wait until you're 35 to to look further down the line and knowing that you know you're not going to retire and go fishing when you're 35 but you have to reorient yourself and uh, you pointed out a few things that there are so many factors from parents to coaches to institutions to federations to government to to so many planets that have to be aligned for this to to be a little easier and uh, you you definitely made a step further with uh, with this program camille we we can talk and uh, hopefully we're going to speak again in another podcast and in another interview because i i could probably talk to you two days in a row with your experience and and your uh, your knowledge about basketball about athlete but thank you very much for this and uh, thank you for your for you speaking taking the time and speaking to us I thank you, and I can tell you that I'm also stealing from you. Uh, it was so inspiring to to speak uh, with with you and with your all your colleagues uh, in Geneva uh, during the during the ceremony. So, me personally, I also took something from you. So I also learned a little bit something. Uh, I, I try always to pick up something which ca can be useful. So I thank you. I thank you, the guys, I mean, you personally, but also the other uh, 79 uh, for all the work for, for the way. And it was really also for us fun to see how, how you develop. Uh, so thank you also for this.